Well, good morning. Everybody doing okay after that song? Good. I'm a little tired. Good to be here. Thank you, Pastor Kevin and the crew for leading us, Cameron. If you will, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, nice, brisk morning this morning. Good day to come into the house of the Lord. Uh, Y'all know those sayings, those commercials and stuff where they talk about how you're becoming your father. Y'all have seen that before? Yeah, I got up this morning and felt good about myself. I got myself dressed, looked in the mirror and thought, man, I look just like my dad with his jacket on. But that's all right. So I made it through the morning and I'm on the down stretch now. Look in the Acts chapter 15, we are our third sermon in this passage in this chapter and the first two sermons dealt with a conflict that had arisen that was very serious a conflict that had really the gospel at stake where some were questioning what it would take for the gentiles to enter into the kingdom of god and of course because of that conflict the church in antioch went down to jerusalem met with the leadership there in jerusalem and in meeting with the leadership, uh, they searched the word together, they prayed, they sought the guidance of the spirit together, and in doing all of that, they recognized what God had called them or taught them through his word is that the gospel is for everybody, Jews and Gentiles alike. The gospel is for all people. And this Acts chapter 15 was a pivotal point in the life of the church. It was pivotal in the way of what would happen next. You see, if this went another direction, if this had gone poorly, then the church could have split into two, really. You could have had a Jerusalem-based Jewish Christian community, heavily traditional and wedded to the synagogue versus an Antioch-based Gentile Christian community with the desire to expand and no regard for tradition whatsoever. If this had not gone well, you could have the church splintering at this time. My point is this conflict in Acts chapter 15, I cannot overstate how important it was. But on the other side, the church looked at God's word, they prayed, they gathered together, and they saw that God had taught throughout his word that the gospel was for all people and that it did go through with grace and that anyone, anywhere that calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. And no barrier was put in between them and the gospel and the good news of Christ. Paul would say to the Ephesians celebrating this point, for Christ is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. When the Antioch church heard the good news that the gospel's for all people, they rejoiced. They rejoiced so much at this decision that had been made that they turned again to the word and they sought about how to tell others about this decision. How can they go about getting this letter that had been written, getting it out? And so ultimately, what we find in our passage is the beginning of the second missionary journey. The second missionary journey of Paul and maybe Barnabas that would go out to encourage the churches with the news that had been made. Our passage this morning as we read it is all about another type of conflict within the church. 
an interpersonal conflict that's going to take place between Paul and Barnabas. And while the first conflict was theological and mattered for the gospel going forward, this conflict, this conflict was interpersonal and could stop the work of Paul and Barnabas altogether if it so chose. So we want to look at this passage this morning. We want to uh, see what it teaches us and notice a few things from it. So if you have your Bibles, follow along with me in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We ask now as we look to your word that we would be guided by it, molded by it, shaped by it, Father, that your spirit would work in our hearts now to teach us what it means to not only love you, but to love one another, to serve together. God, by your grace, help us to reconcile that if we are in Christ, it is because Christ has reconciled us to himself. And so, Father, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation because of Christ. So, God, I pray now that you would tune our hearts to you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to notice just a few things in this passage. I mean, the heart of the passage comes to the idea here of interpersonal conflict, the necessity of reconciliation, and the importance of the work. I think the foundation of this passage, though, comes from Paul's heart to encourage the churches. First, I want us to recognize Paul's desire to encourage the church. You see, that's exactly what we have. They're reading and studying together, but they have received this letter from the Jerusalem elders and, and apostles that, that would encourage the Gentiles with the fact that the gospel is for you. The only thing we ask you to do is worship God and worship him alone. And so they want to encourage the church. This is Paul's heart. It was Paul and Barnabas who had walked through these churches in Asia to establish, or these cities in Asia to establish the church. And as they went through them at the end of that first missionary journey, it tells us that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders or pastors in, for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. You see, their work in missions was not just to go and proclaim the gospel, but to take those who believe the gospel, gather them together in churches, put leadership there so that they can be encouraged and strengthened and do the work that God had commanded them to do themselves. So Paul saw it as his great desire. That was the work he was given. And now his great desire is to go back and encourage them. We saw it here in this passage. He wants to encourage them to continue in the faith. Not only establish the church, but encourage the church to continue. Encourage the church to stay strong. Encourage the believers there because many tribulations and trials are coming. 
Now imagine for Paul, he had spent some time with them, even going from town to town, even facing difficulty in each one. It was in Lystra, Paul was stoned. It was in Lystra, he was left for dead, right? And we saw the struggles. And so surely as Paul leaves, he, he rejoiced in what God has done, but he's concerned about what, what's happening in those churches now. Communication wasn't the same as it is even today. And so surely throughout that time, he had received word from the Jerusalem council. They rejoiced in the decision being made. The Gentiles have no burdens that worship the Lord God. They wanted to go and tell them to strengthen them and encourage them. They probably waited through the winter. Spring came and Paul says to Barnabas, let's go back. Let's go back. Ultimately here, what the Jerusalem council had done was just look at God's word and trust his spirit to guide them in wisdom. They haven't come up with a new way or a new method to be told. What they've done is just looked at the word. And they saw what the word taught, and they said, here's what the word teaches. Go tell them what the word teaches. Paul wanted to strengthen those churches, what the word of God has proclaimed through these apostles and elders and leaders. I think at the heart of this passage, we cannot forget is that the Apostle Paul had a heart for the church. And so should we. The Apostle Paul had a heart for the church. He loved the church. And quite honestly, oftentimes it's not always easy to love, but for Paul, what he understood was those who believed and, and who had followed after Christ were, were those who were his brothers and sisters, and he had a heart and a love for them. I joke about my dad's coats and jackets, and I'm wearing one of them today, right? It's not really my dad's. I'm Somehow it ended up in my closet, though. But I may joke about that, but my father has been in ministry. We just celebrated 50 years. If there's one thing I'm thankful that he taught me in ministry as a preacher's kid, other than watch out for deacon's kids, if there's one thing I'm thankful is my father developed within me a love for the church, a love for the church. And I'm thankful for that to this day because I don't just simply say I get, uh, I, I have to come and, and join in to worship. I get to do this. I get to be a part of God's body. I get to be here. And so I'm thankful for all of it. We should be faithful and we should encourage other churches to be faithful. We should strive for success in advancing the gospel and we should encourage others to strive to advance the gospel as well. We should strengthen churches all around us. Pastor Stephen just gave us some statistics here. 54,000 in a three-mile radius. And we know it because all of them have cars. And they're on the roads at the same time, right? But just imagine this. If our church was full, even for all three services, some 2,500 is less than 5% within the three-mile radius can, can fit into our church any Sunday morning. So what does that mean? That means we need other churches. We need others preaching and advancing the gospel. We need others proclaiming it. And when we come together, we recognize that those churches out there who are preaching and advancing the gospel are not our enemies, and we are not in competition. We work together to reach our neighborhoods and the nations for the glory of God. Paul knew this. Paul knew that if the gospel was going to advance, the church had to be strong. And he sought to strengthen the churches. And encourage them in that. And as I said before, it's not always easy to love the church. Some people in it are, are just plain hard. Which is why we get to the second point of this passage. Second, we recognize the existence of interpersonal conflict even among believers. 
If Paul's heart was for the church and he wants to go, now it's time to go. And so he says to Barnabas, it's time. Let's return to the brothers in every way. We want to proclaim the word of the Lord to see how they are. Let's encourage them with this good news. And having just come out of theological conflict that caused the church to have a, a meeting and everybody to gather together, write a letter and take it on, now a new type of conflict takes place. It's time to go and encourage the churches, and it's time. If you're going to go and encourage the church, it's time for you to pick your team. And so Paul and Barnabas say, let's go, let's do it again. And they're going to pick their team that's going to go with it. And Barnabas wants to take John Mark. And there comes the trouble. There comes the trouble. It's not the first time we'd met John Mark. Paul and Barnabas in chapter 12 had visited Jerusalem. It was a tough time in Jerusalem. If you remember, there was a famine that was going on. And the church at Antioch had sent a gift back to Jerusalem to encourage the church in Jerusalem then. And when they got there, not only was there difficulty and famine, but there was also major strife and persecution. James, the brother of John, one of the leading apostles, had just been killed by the sword of Herod. And now Peter, Peter had been put in jail by Herod. And, and so Peter's in jail, James is dead, and, and, and Paul and Barnabas are there, and the church is gathered in Jerusalem. We remember that miraculously Peter gets out of jail and he comes to where the believers are. And when he comes to where the believers are, they, he finds them in the house of a lady named Mary. The house of Mary, it tells us in chapter 12, 12. Paul, Barnabas, the apostles, the leaders of the church had all gathered in that place. Mary was the mother of John Mark. If you remember then, Herod dies and, and Barnabas and Paul head back to Antioch and in the process of going back, John Mark goes back with him. And what we discover later in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 4, is that John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Mary was Barnabas' aunt. And so now Mary is asking Barnabas, will you take John Mark back with you? And maybe John Mark has heard them in the gospel, wants to be an apprentice with them, to be a young minister himself, wants to be taught by Barnabas and Paul. Maybe he wants that process. Maybe John Mark didn't have a father who's not mentioned in this passage, didn't have a father, and, 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 and Mary asked Barnabas to take and oversee him in the next process of his life. Maybe that was the case. What we know is from there, Barnabas and his cousin John Mark, along with Paul, head back to Antioch. And when it's time to go on the first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas gather to go, and we find out in verse 5 of chapter 13 that John Mark goes with them. They head to Cyprus, sail first to the island, the home of Barnabas. And there on Cyprus, they meet some opposition like Elymas, who, who is opposing the gospel. And they have to deal with that opposition. They go around the island, and it's time for them to sail to the mainland. So they leave the island of Cyprus and sail into Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. They're going to Pamphylia. But here we get a quick note in Acts 13.13. 13. As they're sailing to go to Pamphylia from Cyprus... It just simply says by Luke, John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all it says. That's all we have. We don't really know why. We don't, we don't know if they discussed it and him, he decided to leave. We don't know if he got upset, he got homesick, or if it got too difficult for him. We don't know what really happened with John Mark. We just know at Pamphylia, he decided to head back to Jerusalem and go home. He left. So when Barnabas mentions it here, as they're gathering together for the second journey, 
When Barnabas mentions it here, we are not surprised that a sharp disagreement comes up. In fact, Acts 15, 38 tells us a little bit of why he may have left, or at least how it was perceived by the leadership in Paul. Because it says there in verse 38, Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. That idea of withdrawn is the idea of deserting. So Paul is saying he has he left us on the first journey. We're not going to let him do that again. Paul seemingly saw John Mark as a quitter the first time. And so we're not going to keep going. Now, let's try to catch Barnabas' point of view. Barnabas, we know his name means the encourager. We, re- we heard that before. He's an encourager. In fact, it, Barnabas and Paul were tight. It was Barnabas that put his arm around Paul and took him to Jerusalem the first time after Paul's conversion. When the last time Paul had been with the Christians in Jerusalem, he had sought to kill Stephen and held the coats for those who did and had the, the arrest warrants for all other Christians in his pocket. But now he comes back as a believer. They're a little bit fearful of Paul, what he may do and who he may is, but who, who he may is. That's a good English. Deal with it who he may be. And so here, Barnabas puts his arm around him and takes him back. They go back way, a ways, working together at the Antioch church, going on the first missionary journey. And so Barnabas is the encourager. He's been the encourager to Paul. And now he's the cousin to John Mark. And, and, and as a family member, he, he's willing to give him this chance, maybe the benefit of the doubt. He's an encourager. And so John Mark comes up. This is the one I'm responsible for. His mother, my aunt, gave me responsibility for him. He, he, he may have made a mistake last time. Let's bring him along this time aside us again. Give him another chance. Give him the benefit of the doubt. That was Barnabas's point of view. But Paul's point of view, Paul focused more intently on the work in fact, that's what Paul what's it says here. Remember that idea of the work goes back to chapter 13, verse 2. Paul and Barnabas were set aside by the Holy Spirit for the work that was at hand. Paul knew what it took to get the gospel into Asia. He had already been there, in fact. He had dealt with being stoned. He had dealt with persecution. That work was important, and the gospel had to get there. And so for Paul here, Paul saw John Mark as one who was not committed to the work. If he quit in Cyprus, what would he have done in Lystra? And for Paul, as he was stoned in Lystra, surely he was sitting there thinking, man, it'd be nice to have John Mark here with us in this difficulty. Paul wasn't about to let him desert him again. He wasn't about to let him do it. Notice a few things then about this disagreement. It tells us that this was a sharp disagreement. A sharp disagreement. I want to say... That was probably an understatement for Luke. I don't know, but I think somebody yelled, if you know what I mean. Passions probably came out. We're not going to take him. Yes, we are. Oh, no, we're not. I think somebody got upset, and Luke just simply says there was a sharp disagreement that came up. Barnabas, the son of the uh, son of encouragement in this, when you read through commentaries, quite oftentimes Barnabas is the side everybody takes. They looked at Barnabas and said, Barnabas was being loving. Barnabas was being kind. He's encouraging him. So Paul was probably being too harsh here. He was probably being too proud and, and angry and holding back a grudge. And so we look at Barnabas, loving and kind, just like the Jerusalem council to the Gentiles, loving and kind. And now Paul is not doing this. So Barnabas is always or seemingly always the one that everybody takes the side of. 
Forgive him. He made a mistake. He's young. Let's welcome him back. In studying this, though, I was pointed to the work of Ken Sandy, an author. Wrote the book, The Peacemaker, a biblical guide to resolving personal conflict. And he deals with this this issue here in Acts 15. And I like what he says. According to Sandy, conflict comes for several reasons. One, there's poor communication. And any of you who's been married for 10 minutes knows that's probably happened. Conflict happens because of poor communication. Two, it can come sometimes for a competition of resources, limited resources, which I just simply say, I've said to the first two services, good example, you find a classroom downstairs of three-year-olds, say there's 20 of them in there, you take 10 Oreos and set them in the middle and see what happens. Conflict. There's not enough. We fight over resources. Or three, it could just be sinful attitudes and sinful habits that go into sinful words and sinful actions. At the heart of conflict could easily be sin. Our sinful selfishness oftentimes causes us to lash out to those around us that creates conflict within us. Our own sinful desires that lead to sinful actions and words. Those are three ways conflict comes. I don't think that's what's happening in this passage. Sandy mentions a fourth. He says sometimes conflict happens simply because of a difference in values, a difference in goals, priorities, expectations, and opinions. Sometimes it just simply happens because we have a difference of opinion on what is the priority and what are the expectations that are here. And for Sandy and myself, this fourth one is where we are in this passage, I believe. I do not think the scripture is causing us or wanting us necessarily to choose sides. I think it's making a point. And the point is here, two men have come to different judgments. Different judgments in what to do. Paul, he says, John Mark needs to grow up more. It's not time. He needs to mature. He needs to grow up. Paul, who's focused on the the work, he's talented himself. He's focused on the task at hand. Paul said, John Mark doesn't need to go with us because he still needs to grow up. And Barnabas, who says, oh, come on, let's give him another chance. While Paul may be focused on the task and the work, Barnabas is focused oftentimes on relationships and people we can see in Acts. And so he says, let's give him another chance. Let Let him have the opportunity to prove himself. And what I would say in my own life is that neither one of these are necessarily wrong in and of themselves. In fact, I've had a Paul in my life and a Barnabas. I've had people step up to me and say, it's time for you to grow up and do more. Get mature. Get serious about the work. I've had them step up to tell me that, and it was just what I needed to hear at just the right time. And I've had people put their arm around me and say, let me come alongside you and show you. And it was just what I needed at just the right time. You see, what we have in this passage are two spirit-filled, Jesus-loving people, and they disagree. They disagree. Luke does not lay blame on either one of them. He just simply states what happened. He doesn't even give us all the information. Much of what we have would be conjecture into the situation. These two men agree to disagree and how the work should go forward. Now, I want you to note, this is not theological as before. 
This is not, should the Gentiles get the gospel? And if they get the gospel, what should they get? That changes the whole church. That's a matter that affects everyone. This is an interpersonal conflict where two people who love Jesus disagree. In life, we are constantly going to be dealing with people who are different, with different personalities. And it's quite often not very easy, is it? I remember my first church, <clears throat> my first church, uh, it was a small little church. We only had one adult men's class, Sunday school class. We had two guys teaching it. And like, there was more men coming to the worship service, but they weren't going to Sunday school. I'm like, what's going on? They had like three or four guys in the class. And I got to hang out with them and started spending time with them. And I realized these two teachers could not be more different personality-wise. One of them was crotchety and kind of curmudgeon. The other one was real passive and did whatever his wife said. And the two men never really worked together, right? In that class, nobody knew. They, didn't, they disagreed on how to handle things. They disagreed on what to do. So me, as a young pastor, praying for wisdom, what happened? I said, y'all need to split up and form your own class. You take one and you take the other two. And in reality, when that happened, one's class, both classes started growing. Men started coming. And I simply told them, here's your name. Y'all are the crotchety old curmudgeon class, and y'all are the passive do-what-your-mama-says class. <laughs> and we saw growth happen. Why? Because these two personalities couldn't clash in it. These men would spend every morning together at the Dunkin' Donuts, drinking coffee and eating donuts and loving it. But when they came together in class, these two wouldn't work together well. We face life with people who have different personalities and different goals and different expectations all the time. And it's not easy. I think what this passage is teaching us is that interpersonal conflict will happen. It's going to come. It's going to come. God saves us and he transforms our lives. But he takes the personalities that we have and instead of changing those personalities, he uses them for his glory. And so ultimately, we recognize that we face and we deal and we live and we work together with people with different personalities and different lives. I don't have to tell y'all anything. Y'all have jobs. Y'all work. You know it. So what do we do? I think what's interesting here is that we don't see reconciliation in this passage. I think that's what bothers me the most when I read it. I mean, you get here, they have a big, sharp disagreement, and it doesn't say, like previously, they called the church together, they got sat down, they figured it out, and they said, we love each other, and they hugged and left. I kind of wanted it to say that, right? In fact, it just says they had a disagreement, they split. Barnabas and Paul split. Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus. Paul chooses Silas, who had come down from Jerusalem before with them, and they go by land. Paul, uh, Barnabas, and, Barnabas and John Mark go to Cyprus by boat. Paul and Silas go by land back up to the churches that they come. And guess what? We never hear from Barnabas again. He doesn't appear anywhere else in the text. We, we will have his name here in a minute, and I'll tell you where. Here they split, and we never hear from Barnabas again. But we do hear about John Mark. The first time we hear about John Mark is in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. From the pen of Paul himself, 
in prison in Rome, toward the end of his life, Paul under arrest, he's, call, he's writing to the Colossians whom he's never met. And he says, greetings to you all. And he lists out the names and one of them he gives greetings. Greetings from is Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark greets you, the cousin of Barnabas. And in fact, Paul says, I told you about Mark, I may send him to you. Isn't that interesting? We haven't seen anything. We don't know anything to happen. We don't know the process that went, took place in reconciliation. But here in Colossians 4, toward the end of his life, Mark is with Paul while he's in prison. And Paul is greeting on behalf of his name. And he's even earned Paul's trust by Paul saying, I may send him to you to teach you and to train you. But even more, Paul's last letter, 2 Timothy the last letter Paul writes, the one where he says, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. He's, he's pouring into his, his son in the ministry, Timothy, and he's, he's telling him his last words, live by this, preach the word, in season, out. He's giving him everything. And this letter, this really does my heart good. Because here in 2 Timothy 4.11, listen to what he says. He's still in prison in Rome. Paul knows death is coming. He says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. It, they hugged and made up somewhere along the way. Mark is not only with Paul, but Paul has got his trust back, and now he would say, I'll send him to you so that he can teach you. And now he's, he's, he's not with him, and Paul says, please bring him here to me. I need Mark beside me. I need him with me. Peter would say later that John Mark was his son in the faith. And by the way, it would be John Mark, who we know as Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark. Reconciliation happened. While we don't have it in the text, we see the effects of it. Now they are together. And what I would say to you today is this. While interpersonal conflict is sure to happen in our life through different personalities and different ideas and different opinions, reconciliation is not an option for the believer. Reconciliation is not an option for them. We must pursue it because this is a gospel issue. In 2 Corinthians 5, that's exactly what we see. This is our, our statement of moment of impact. We've been reconciled to Christ. That's the gospel. You see, no matter what anybody else has done to us, and no matter what we've done to anybody else, it is not as much as what we have done to Christ Jesus our Lord. And he has sought reconciliation through his own life to us. He has shed his own blood to be reconciled back to us. And so while we read that, the gospel is us being reconciled back to the Father. There's no way we can withhold or not pursue reconciliation with other believers that we have around us. It's a gospel issue. We're reconciled to Christ. How can you be reconciled to the head and not have the body? Christ Jesus has called us to pursue it. In fact, Paul is no hypocrite when he writes this to the Romans. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul's not a hypocrite. In fact, I like to think here as he's writing Romans that John Mark, who was with him a lot in his life, that John Mark may have been right beside him as he's writing that. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
Conflict will happen. Reconciliation, as much as it depends on us, must be pursued. Must be pursued. Paul says, if possible, as much as it depends on you, find peace with everyone. There's many different stories in this room. Many different heartaches. Many different disagreements that you bear with you. Take the word for what it says. If possible, as much as this depends on you, live at peace. Live at peace. No one that I know that has been in sharp disagreement with any other believer that has not pursued reconciliation and has not found it, no one I know that has pursued it is mad about it. Always it brings peace and it brings joy. While, reconcili- while, while disagreements bring strife, reconciliation brings joy. It's for our best. And now, I, I must say, I've said several times, be reconciled to believers. Surely you may be at disagreements with unbelievers. But ultimately, what we see is ultimate reconciliation happens first with Christ. We're reconciled to Christ first, and then as we're reconciled to him, we reconcile with one another. First and foremost today, if you're in this place and you have not been reconciled with Christ, then your sins are still upon you. And you must seek reconciliation to the one who you have offended by your sins. Even Paul himself knew of this as Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. And though Paul had brought persecution to all these other Christians, Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, Paul? Ultimately, our sin is against Christ. And first, we must be reconciled to him. And then in reconciling ourselves to Christ through our repentance and faith, we can live at peace with everyone. But finally, we need to recognize that the work must go on. I think this is the point for Luke in verse 41. I mean, Luke brings up this this disagreement, but what does it get to? It starts out, we need to go encourage the churches. Disagreement happens, they have some split, things take place, but then it ends with what? And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Ultimately, this conflict takes place, and it seems to be the point of this passage, that even though conflict will happen amongst believers, quite often the work must not stop because of it. It must not stop. In fact, Barnabas goes on. Barnabas goes to Cyprus, and to this day, the churches in Cyprus claim the testimony of Barnabas bringing the gospel to them first. Paul, by land, goes to the areas he met before, and if it hadn't changed, maybe it would have been different because Paul takes off with Silas, and they go to all those little towns where they establish the church all the way through, and they get to the coastline, and you remember what happens. As they're thinking about what would be next, the Spirit calls him, come over here to Macedonia. And the gospel goes through Paul on into Europe. You see, ultimately what we see when we look at this passage is that even though personal conflict comes up, it cannot and it must not stop the work. The work must continue, and in fact, the work expands even through it. Like persecution that happened before. With Stephen stoning And the Christians fled, but wherever they fled, they took the gospel with them. The work continues to grow, even through difficulty. When Luke is writing Acts, he ends it with, the gospel went forward unhindered and with all boldness. There are countless scenes in the book of Acts that could have hindered the gospel from going. 
but it must not be hindered. Even personal conflict. To say this personally to you then, you can't stop the work that you're called to do in life because of conflict that may be there. Whatever conflict that may be, whatever it may be, it cannot stop the fact that you've been called to be a reconciler and to reconcile others back to Christ. There's no excuses. The work must go on. Paul left and he continued. The church even said go and he commended them. He left and he continued because the work must go on. Surely I'd like to think that, that Paul left. He went on the journey. When he got back, the first person he looked after was Barnabas. Where is Barnabas? Can I find Barnabas? The next person he looked after was John Mark. We can see even later that there was a reconciliation between the two. But ultimately for Paul, the work must continue. The work must continue. We like to use anything and everything we can as an excuse to not proclaim or share or give the gospel. And the scriptures don't allow it. If you've been called, reconciled to Christ, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Do it. Continue that work. Today, probably everybody in this room is thinking of somebody that needs to come to you and apologize. But what I want you to hear are those words of Paul. If possible, as much as it depends upon you, Live at peace with everyone. Yes, there's differences, but that doesn't stop peace that Christ brings. Live at peace with everyone. Seek reconciliation and keep working for the glory of God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us in giving us your word. And thank you, God, for your spirit that dwells within us. And we thank you, God, that you take all types of people and use them for your glory. And God, this room is full of different personalities and different people. And you, by your grace, use us all. And so God, I pray that if there's any conflict between anyone in this place, that as much as is possible on with them, they would seek reconciliation and peace. I pray, God, that no one would use that as an excuse to stop proclaiming, preaching, and telling of the gospel of Christ Jesus. God, Ultimately, we know the most important relationship in our life is our relationship with you. And so, God, today, if anyone is still not at peace with you, they would repent of their sin and trust in Christ by faith and be reconciled back to you today. No barrier, Father. Simply repent and believe. God, we thank you for the gospel of grace that forgives us for all kind of crazy and dumb things we do. But God, we thank you for each other. That you've not left us alone here, but we get to work together to reach our neighbors and the nations with the gospel. Give us strength for this task. If you're here today and you need to have someone pray with you about a reconciliation disagreement that needs reconciliation in your life, we would love to pray with you. If you're here today and you need to be reconciled to Christ first and foremost, we would love to speak with you about that. We'll be standing here at the front. Y'all come if you need to. Let's stand together and sing.